This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Dora, have you given any thought as to how you want to bring in 2020? I can't believe we're coming into a new year. Yes, we're hosting in partnership with the Gasparilla Inn a wellness experience on January 27th in Boca Grande, Florida. What's going to happen down there? We're going to be doing cooking demonstrations. We're going to be walking on the beach. We're going to be doing yoga every morning. We're going to be learning from world-class teachers on how to take better care of ourselves. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. So go to our website, bbrconsulting.us, to learn more and to sign up. And we look forward to seeing you on January 27th. Can't wait to see you all there. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Keith Mitchell is a former All-Pro NFL linebacker who early in his career suffered an injury on the field that left him partially paralyzed. With his career, body, and identity destroyed and the doctors unable to help him, Keith suffered from depression and even suicidal thoughts. A nurse recommended that Keith try controlled breathing, which eventually led him to meditation and yoga. Today, Keith is a master certified yoga instructor who, through his Lighted Up Charity Foundation, is bringing yoga and mindfulness meditation to children, vets, first responders, former NFL players, and other trauma survivors. Congressman Tim Ryan introduced us to Keith, and we are so glad he did. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. For our audience to get a sense of who you are, why don't you give them a bit of your background? I grew up in Texas. Since I was a little kid watching the Dallas Cowboys, all I could ever think of being was a football player. So I put that on my goal list. I set myself out to do it. And the irony of that is my mother, she didn't let me start playing until I was 14. So even as I had this vision, I wasn't even playing. <laughs> I wasn't playing the game. <laughs> but nevertheless, I got every school in the country to recruit me to play football. I was a little bit too afraid to go anywhere outside of Texas, so I went to Texas A&M. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. so Howdy. Howdy. From there, I went to the New Orleans Saints for six years and then to the Houston Texans. And then Jacksonville is where basically this story that we're talking about today started. Can so. you share with us what happened? Through my journey... Being an all-pro linebacker, I got paid to hit people on the field. I did it pretty well. I was voted to be all-pro, which is get voted from the fans, the coaches, and your peers. So I was an all-pro linebacker, so really good at what I did. And then this particular weekend, this Sunday in Jacksonville, playing the Buffalo Bills, you know, making a tackle I had made a million times at least. And on this particular play, I end up on my back. I'm trying to get up, but my body's not responding, so movement Typically, when you make a big play, you make a big collision, you get up to you know celebrate with your teammates to kind of build some momentum. And it's happened, like I said, a million times. And on this particular play, you know, as we talk about in yoga, the last posture is Shavasana. I'm like in Shavasana on my back. It's the most vulnerable <laughs> position there is. This gladiator in Shavasana was like not a good look for me because I had never felt that experience before because it's a lot of vulnerability. So I'm telling my body to move and my body's not responding. And they're not moving me because they don't know what's going on with me. And I lay there for about 45 minutes. They realize I'm not going to move. So they pick me up, take me out to the ambulance. And again, I start my journey in the hospital. I was diagnosed with a spinal contusion. And man, life just was coming at me a million miles an hour. And I didn't know what to do. Luckily, I learned conscious breathing. 
And that's how I started my meditation practice. And this is what I teach today. A lot of people talk about belief being integral to success. And you said, the athlete died and whoever I was, who I identified with, died with it. Yeah, it's so true. It is a saying to jump and whoever you're supposed to be will catch you. And in this particular instance, that identity that I had for so long as this character, this football player was dying. I guess the uncomfortable thing was I didn't know who Keith was. All I knew was me as the football player, the athlete. I didn't know who Keith was. And it was just like one of those things in fear. You're trying to attach to what's been comfortable, what's been the normal. And I was losing that. And I had to come into this new experience. And it started with my breath in the rehabilitation. The irony of that is when you can't really move very well. And they have you in rehabilitation. But the nurse, she introduces me to conscious breathing. She says, do you know what happens when you breathe? We take about 10,000 breaths a day, but do you actually know what happens when you breathe? She said, on the inhale, the diaphragm pushes to the belly, and on the exhale, it comes up. So we're taking about 10,000 breaths to massage our internal body. People who breathe in the chest, well, the heart, the lungs don't really need your help and assistance to move. They move naturally. But what does need your assistance is your internal organs, kidneys, the colon, the intestine, and all the types of organs that we have. With that massage, we're detoxifying our bodies continuously, and it's also creating a relaxed environment for ourselves to participate and maneuver in the way we want to show up in the world. So that was my whole understanding of meditation right there. I really didn't have time to negotiate it. Right. <laughs> I was like, my life depended on it. So it was just my way of willing myself and using the tools of breath, simply the breath, to bring myself back to be well. Would you say the experience of having your identity stripped from you was even more painful than the physical injury you suffered? Or do you even think like that? You know, the mental thing, you know, because that's where a lot of the chaos is really stirred mentally. You know, yes, we can do some things to our bodies that can compromise our wellness, but the mental, right, is never really materialized and even matured in a sense. You know, we build a physical body, but we have to build this mental maturity and emotional maturity to go with it. I must say at that time I had mental toughness, but I didn't understand how to deal with the chaos of just life happening and you can't control it. My mind was just out of whack. And it was one of the hardest things to deal with. And with the breath, with the meditation, it was one of those things that I could bring it back to center because the body in a stressful situation, especially as you present it in your mind, it takes healing off the table, right? So we have to have ourselves in the place you talk about homeostasis. And that's just a relaxed state where we can have and create that environment that our bodies can not be so stressed out, not releasing so much of the cortisol, but the serotonin and the melatonin to relax and have healthy energy to heal our bodies. And I had to stay more in that state than the negative. And you did that through your breath work. Yeah, it was definitely the medicine for me. That's just amazing. It's so simple, right? But when you think about how we live and maneuver in our day, and we talked about the chest breathers, right? So, you know, you're going to be more temperamental. You're going to be more reactive. If you think about it, when you breathe from the belly, it's like you're going to be more relaxed. You're going to be more subtle, more contemplative. You can actually cue in in a sense of how you're choosing to live and not be so erratic with the emotions. Mm -hmm. And it calms you down to have your approach and have your entombment to your body and to what you're striving to create for yourself. Because we are creating our moments. And that's a whole discovery I had to learn as well. <laughs> creating our moments, yeah. So yeah. would you say that aside from healing you physically, that's what yoga and meditation gave you that you didn't have before? 
Oh, yes. Yoga was the progression. The mental growth was the meditation. And that's how I teach it by the practice of contemplation, asking yourself the simple question and realizing your answer, but speaking the truth. Because we realize how much we can tell ourselves the stories and create stories that are not even true, but we can buy into our own stories. <laughs> the progression is the yoga, which is the yoga for me, I teach it and share it as a relationship concept, integrating you into how to relate to your body. Like as an athlete, I knew how to push my body, but I didn't know how to listen to my body. And that's a different dynamic. It's one of those things of like, even in, as we find ourselves in relationships and, and we do the things for ourselves and or the people that we're in relationships to, but the simple thing they want is to, hey, tell me you love me. And in the sense of the personal relationship is to sit and give it the recovery after we've pushed it so much, to give it a little bit back in return. And that for me was a life changer as well, because I'm here at the 31, 32, just realizing that I had a relationship existing with myself that I never even knew about. Do you believe that the abuse of the body is maybe just part of what it means to be a professional athlete, or do you see it differently now? Well, I see it in a lot of different cases with the whole concussion case and so forth. And in my work, I've had to dive in and work with a lot of doctors. And this is kind of a joke. <laughs> the doctors, so they're interviewing me. They're talking about my past, my history. And they said, you know, it's a shame what you guys do and what you put your bodies through playing on this game. I was like, yeah, you're right, doc. But at the same time, you guys have the same issue. They say, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you negate your 20s. You negate most of your 30s to attain the MD degree and so forth. So you have no relationship skills, but you want love in your life. So you have no idea how to talk to a woman, so you realize you have to buy one. <laughs> and so by the third marriage, you realize that they've never been there for you. And he's like, you know what? You're right. That's pretty funny. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'm on my third marriage as well. So, <laughs> so it's, it's the chaos of really just finding this thing. For whatever reason, you know, we were taught or we weren't told that we had it, meaning had it like we were good enough. Mm. And it's like we had to go out and get something that would validate us. And so what I've realized through meditation and yoga is you are enough. Human potential has it all. So as a human, if I would build and focus on building myself as human, yeah, I could play a sport, but I don't have to define myself as the athlete. I'm just a human that has the capacity to be an athlete, but also can be other things as well. We talk to a lot of people, and I think what I'm hearing you say is that you believe in yourself. And a lot of people explain to us that the key to their success is the belief. Would you say that's true? Belief is a very interesting and tricky slope, but I do agree with that. But also believe in doing the work. And mm -hmm. what happens when you do the work where you validate yourself? So many people want to get the credentials and they're doing it for reasons that don't really exist within themselves. Like it's not their true desire. They're doing it to get validation from maybe the mother, father and so forth. But they're not really doing it for themselves and it doesn't drive them a certain way. And so that's what I've seen. When you don't have that, it's like, well, you're going to be searching. But when you build yourself up and you realize, hey, I've spent the hours doing this. I know what I'm talking about. And so many people really battle with that confidence. And they have all the degrees. You know, I work with so many different executives who are so successful on paper. But then I say in a class, I love to do this. It's like, tell me something you like about yourself. You have this group of successful people that can't come up with things that they actually like about themselves. That's so true. It is so hard for people to identify the goodness in them. 
And that's why the yeah. exercise of where you go stand in front of the mirror, <laughs> look at yourself and say why you're so... Wasn't it on Saturday Night Live like I'm good enough? Remember that? Oh, yeah. That, you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> but it's hard to do. It's I mean, it's really hard, hard to look at ourselves and say, I'm good at this and <laughs> yeah. I'm good at that. There's even a saying, you know, because a lot of times we like to say, well, you know, this humble route. And like, relax, you're not Beyonce yet. Give yourself a chance <laughs> right. to be good. Right. 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 Exactly. What stands out is how single-minded you are and you're focused to develop talent and to be the best football player. And now you're the best yogi, we would argue, with the best book coming out. Yes, I love that. Okay. So you said that if you set out a goal, make it simple enough and fully commit to it. And then we've heard you say, because that brings a whole other level of consciousness. What I've learned is if you put it into the universe, right, there is a higher power. You know, I don't know if it's because my father's a Pentecostal preacher or what have you, but I do believe that there's a higher source. And if we speak it, because our verbiage is our power, one of the chapters in my book is define your words. You know, the words have been defined for us through public opinion, but we don't have it interpreted from our own. So speak it into the world, speak it into the universe and be specific to what you want. And that's your intention. And when you create that and you come to your day-to-day and how you move about your week or your month and so forth, everything is intentional to create that goal. You'll realize that something supports you. We have this amazing potential of magnetism that we don't really exploit very well. But we have this magnetism that we can create things because things are energy to come to us. So when you talk about the importance of breath and the stillness and coming to that breath in you, then you can have more clarity of what you might want or what you might need in your life. Yes. And you also get more of a firsthand experience. Like you get to be in it. We get to feel like we've been so, I don't know if it's the trauma that we've never taught to release, but we kind of hold things and these holdings begin to be restrictions. Restrictions begin to be triggers and it doesn't allow us to have the experience. I was working with the military guys, the Green Berets at Fort Bragg. He's like, you want to get me to meditate? Well, we're going to take you 15,000 feet in the air and we're going to jump out the plane. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, that's a bet. And then we're going to film you. I'm like, oh, you got to. <laughs> you know, it's just like in the plane, you know, you're up there 15,000 feet. Your mind is telling you all these things like, I'm going to die. You're going to, why are you doing this? This plane is fully functional, operative. Why do you want to jump out of it? And then you get to the edge and you jump and you have the most amazing experience you've ever had in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's really the chance that we take of showing up to feel, to be present, to embrace it all, realizing life doesn't just exist in one polarity. There's so-called good and there's so-called bad. And it right. comes with it. It's one of the roomies, the guest house. We love that because that says, accept everything that comes to your doorstep, right? Accept everything. And that is what life is about. Yes, Hmm. I agree with that. Hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes we think life is if we do A, B, and C, well, then everything else is supposed to fall into place. Right. That's not true. (laughs) There's a cultivation that happens that sustains us. And through that journey, that's why a journey is the destination. It grows us. That's where the validation actually comes from. And we get to build ourselves up and experience it. Mm-hmm. And by the time when we get to the pinnacle, then we realize like, yeah, wow, this is one step and it was amazing. And then you also begin to be empathetic to the people on their journey as well. 
so we don't get ahead of ourselves and think that we're bigger and better than the next person. We realize that that person is on their own journey and they have to learn in their due time. Right. It's really the thing of just being more human is really what I've been developing and learning within myself and seeing it within other people. Your injury forced you to relearn who you are. How would you define who you are today? Wow. <laughs> define it because I'm still living. <laughs> the book is continued to be written. But you know, the thing is that I would have never guessed. I could have never written this script to be where I am today, to go to the places I've been, to be on stage with people like Bill Clinton. I'm like, are you kidding? This is like the most profound public speaker in the world. And I'm here, you want me to speak on the stage with this guy? Or, or like the <laughs> Deepak Chopra or Dr. Oz or at the White House and all these types of places that I never would have imagined that I would be speaking about mindfulness or in meditation. I thought maybe, okay, we could speak about football because that's where my mind was. But really when I've allowed the human being to develop within me, within the life, the world begins to be my playground. Mm. You know, how I can create and the things that we can actually cultivate and collaborate on and create together begins to be just so much fun. We get to be problem solvers. Do you see your identity now as more fluid, something that's constantly changing and evolving? Do you see that you're less attached to this than you were as a football player? Can you even look at it like that? I can see what you mean because, you know, we can have an expectation. I think the thing is that I had to throw out the expectation. Being a football player, everything is perfect. You know, these guys put on a whole presentation show and when you show up on Sunday everything is perfect but when you're teaching meditation and you're going to these events where well, everything is not going to be <laughs> right. on like that <laughs> so you got to be flexible but you also have to realize that that's just how life is sometimes that's the yoga because we think yoga is just a physical concept but it's really breathing and movement so in my whole day I'm doing yoga in my whole day I'm being mindful so I'm experiencing life as it goes, and I'm not stressing on the expectation and getting myself disappointed when it's not a certain way as I envision it in my mind. Your love of yoga, obviously, has far surpassed mm -hmm. your previous love of football. What do you love most about yoga? Is that true? Do you love yoga more than your love of football? <laughs> of course. I, well, you know, I, I get to heal instead of punish myself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, this facet, I like to call it mindfulness because it's kind of the umbrella of bringing the yoga and the meditation together to share that to someone and to give them an empowerment. I've seen people go to A to Z like really fast, like to heal, whether it be learning nutrition, whether it be developing more confidence within themselves, things like that. That component, that has been the most dynamic change that I've seen in my life. And what I feel from that, when I can share that with someone, it's a phenomenal feeling. You know, when you play in the NFL, I mean, that's the pinnacle. Like, you can't get bigger than that in a sense of the sport. But when you go into just connecting to humans, right, that's a whole other lane. That begins to be something just like, I can't even put it in words, but it's the best substitute to come from where I came from. Because that pinnacle, it's not about making money. You realize that there's so much more. We can't eat money. We can't connect to money, but we can connect to people. We can build a community of people, of conscious thinkers. We can see problems that are happening in our world, and we can create a collective and solve them. That's the lifelong lesson that I've learned about sharing this practice. And I'm so grateful for knowing this in this lifetime and to be here and where I am and growing. Who knows where we'll be in the future with this. God, you can hear it in your voice, your true purpose. This idea of you being a healer and a teacher, it came from tragedy, of course, but then that it came from something that we all have, which is breath. 
with you showing us how we can connect with that breath and understanding how we can all do that. It's pretty powerful what you're sharing. Thank you so much. I feel that way. It makes so much sense to me. And like I said, I'm glad that I've learned this in this lifetime, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't just waste it all on football. Not that I'm not grateful for the experience of football. I learned so much from it. But now, you know, it's a whole nother path. And I think we could even grow beyond what we've done in football. Speaking of sharing, you share your work with children, with vets, first responders, and retired NFL players. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? The first responders is one of the things that we've taken on here in L.A. In particular, I've been working several years with the LAPD, and we finally put together a contract for them to have the mindfulness curriculum for the police academy, to go into the different departments and work with them and just really talk about mindfulness as an approach and using breath as your first weapon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Because uh, it's that gladiator mentality, right? I think we get a, an opening with those guys because we come from that lineage, you know, the gladiator with football. It's like they can relate. So it's a funny story. I have to tell this story. When I was in the police academy, I had this notion. I was like, I want to use essential oils, but I don't know how these guys are going to take it, you know? <laughs> you know, I kind of stayed up all night thinking about it. You know how we talked about, you know, we put the stories in our minds and we, we believe these stories. Right, right. Like, right. I was like, I'm just going to do it. So I put the lavender, the rose, all these types of oils on the desk as the cadets came in. I just sat back, just kind of see what they're going to do. I was like, they're like, what do we do with these? I was like, just open it and put a dab on your wrist and, and big inhale with it. And it's so funny because the guys, they loved it. And as we were leaving, there was a guy on the side. He's kind of was embarrassed to say it. He's like, hey, where can I get some of those oils? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just opening those guys up to something totally different that hopefully they can go out and serve the public with that mindfulness aspect. What about children? Yeah, we get to go. We work with KIPS. We work with several different organizations throughout the country. They've kind of flown me out to work with the kids and talk in mindfulness and meditation. A lot of the kids have this approach as I saw myself, you know, wanting to be an athlete. I'm like, okay, athletes are good, but there's other things that we can do too, you know. Let's grow as humans first, right? Let's go right. and let's deal with the trauma. As trauma comes up, let's release it. And how we release it? With the exhale. We get frustrated to come back to center and to realize intention and things like that and understanding how the words that we speak are so powerful and let's use the words in a constructive manner. To share that with like youth, I'm like, man, what was my yoga teacher? What was my mindfulness teacher when right, I was right. <laughs> right. It's so important yeah. for these kids to have these tools in their toolbox early on. How do you envision the yoga and mindfulness meditation changing our world? Like in your mind's eye, what do you see? I have to give it to Congressman Ryan. I mean, when I listen to him, hearing how his approach with it and how we did the Congressional Yoga Association with him, Charles Rangel and so forth on the Hill, we did a big session bringing the Democrats and Republicans together. I mean, who would have thought that? Who would have thought that we would be on the Hill doing yoga meditation, things like that? It's like when we bring in that mindset to be the leaders of our country, we just open up the gates of potential for us. As we wrap it up, we have a couple of questions. One is, what are your hopes for the future? You know, for us to be more mindful as a nation, to realize that we need a mind practice. As we're dealing with trauma, seeing trauma on the news, on the Internet, these things are affecting us, and we have to heal from that. You know, and to realize that there's so much more for us. No matter what we've been through, what we've been diagnosed, we are not the diagnosis. We can heal beyond that. And to know that as the future presents itself, we can be more. 
And it's not that looking at our lives from the past, that is good or bad, but it's to realize that we have so much potential that hadn't been accessed or even tapped into to just question the idea of well, what does it look like? What does a fully loved up me look like? Mm. Even to have that idea in the mind of perceiving yourself. What do you need for the love to be in your life? And that's just simply with the relationship with yourself. What I know about the practice is when you create that and cultivate that love, that consistency of attention for yourself, well, then it naturally goes into other people. It naturally goes into realizing that your surroundings equal you. You are not just inside this, as Alan Watts talks about, the bag of bones. You Mm -hmm. exist externally as well as you exist internally. The external world is something that we have to participate in equally. With that understanding, we begin to be problem solvers. We begin to be the healers. We all have the capacity and we all participate with it. And that creates a whole ripple effect that can really create a dynamic change in this world. I have to share this story. I was walking by the TV one day. My daughters were watching Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> and who did I see on there? But Keith Mitchell. And I, I did a double take and I said to my girls, I know him. <laughs> and there you were, teaching yoga to the Housewives of Beverly Hills. Amazing. Well, they need it too. They, they need, need it too. too. Yeah. yeah. Everybody needs go, it. you got to go wherever they call. Keith, you know, this is a question we ask a lot of our guests. What gets you up and inspires you each morning? Yeah, you guys are asking some really hard questions. (laughs) Well, I think the potential, what's possible? Pushing the envelope. You know, we get this one experience that we know about in this lifetime. So how far out can we go? How much greatness can we actually put out into the world? Who can we meet and lift up? And what kind of ripple effect can we create in our communities, in our lives? You know, what's not possible for you? That's what wakes me up in the morning. That's what gets me excited when I think about my life. And we had this crazy idea. I was like, you know, when I first went and did a yoga retreat, I took one. And I came back from it. I just moved to L.A. And I was like, I want to create a retreat for the community of Los Angeles. And the yoga world was looking at me like, who's this guy? He's nuts. He's lost his mind. They're like, where do you want to do it? I'm like, the L.A. Coliseum. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I want the city council to participate, the mayor and LAPD and all these types of people to participate. And I'm thinking 10,000 people to come to this event. And again, like I said, they're looking at me like, this guy's lost his mind. But you know what? We did it. We did it. And we didn't have 10,000. We had 12,000 people. Wow. Jeez. That's what wakes me up and gets me excited about, well, if I can participate and create an idea, just like when I was a kid saying I wanted to play pro football, yeah. and I can do something like a retreat for the community of Los Angeles, where you have A-listers and I'm just a retired football player, well, then what else is possible? Keith, we think, Trisha and I, yes. that you're a great healer and a great teacher. Yes. And we're so inspired by you. And we're very excited about the Mindfulness Playbook. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. we can't wait to have everyone read that and have everyone hear you on this podcast. And so we thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>